Anthony Servants. And I'm Mike Urbans, and welcome to It's Your Water. I'm glad you found us. Today we thought it was time to talk about the current state of treating water for PFOSs or PFOAs. I think we all know what they are, but there's PFOA, PFOS, PFHA-S, PFDA, PFNA. There's so many variations of this thing. Gen X is one of the big that's ones. That's the big Gen guy. X, yeah. yeah, that's down in North Carolina. It's a tongue twister. There's, there's just uh, many, many subspecies of this, and we've talked about it. I suggest you listen to our previous podcast to catch up to maybe this point, because there's a lot. There's a lot on this subject uh, to catch up to, you know, lots of good stuff. So let's bring you up to date. The Fed's proposing a four parts per trillion. Can you imagine that? Four parts per trillion. No, I can't imagine. It's that. like it's, it's such infinitesimal amount. You think this stuff would be like worse than flesh eating bacteria and making people <laughs> run and oh my gosh and how awful that all the press it's gotten and all the uh, technology and papers and podcasts <laughs> that we're doing over this stuff only because it is it's a big hot topic right now and we thought we'd catch everybody up but four parts per trillion when you think about this it is scary to the average person out there but for us i'm always saying the epa is our friend they may be on the ridiculous side right now but this is yeah well spur innovation sure it does and uh you know one man's oil spills another man's cleanup we do the cleanup stuff and uh, we're surrounded by, you know, the WQA and the people at EWQA and the Water Quality Association uh, folks and uh, WQRF that are feverishly looking at or analyzing the technologies for the viability. Because we know this stuff's just about everywhere. It's in the clothing, footwear, carpets, food packaging, you know, anything that's kind of waterproof, cookware, remember the old Teflon coatings. I think they don't put it in kept cookware anymore. But the one thing I thought was spot-free rinse. That's that uh, jet-dry stuff. Really? Yeah. I just put it in, the, <laughs> I know, it's I like, just put it in my dishwasher yeah, last night. PFAS. Darn. Yeah. Oh. Cosmetics. You need it on well water. I got news for you. Yeah, I know. I'm not going to give up on it. You're not giving up your PFAS uh, jet-dry to keep your wine glasses. Does heat kill it? I don't know because... That's a funny thing is. I'm going to flip to that question because I had a question this morning. Well, we're going to go through technologies. You know, carbon, ion exchange, reverse osmosis. Someone mentioned distillation. I'm totally ignorant to no, distillation. They said it kills it. I don't know how. I thought it would concentrate it. You think maybe the crystal dry on my, re- my dishwasher might be close. I don't know. I, you know, I'm just thinking, does it kill? This is a question. All the exhaustive seminars I've gone to. Left and right. All these no one's mentioned distillation, or unless I gla- I glazed over. To be honest, I did it I you know, so that we look better. I did a little uh, you know, some research on my own yesterday, you know, with uh, Dr. Google. And they did not mention heat or distillation. Yeah. So I don't think we're gonna go there. So we all know to the point we're at now, uh, you can go out and read every million articles. We all know it's here. It's in our blood. It's worse. It's in our wine. I heard that. I was very upset that PFAS is in my wine. Beer? 
Beer, oh yeah, probably most likely. Well, it's yeah, because there. there's water, right? Oh yeah, yeah, and uh, so uh, we've gone down the road testing, choosing the media installs. I've spoken about this, but what have we learned lately? So okay, four parts per trillion. Is it treatable? Can we get there? How do we measure that? So how do we get down to four parts per trillion? And what labs can possibly even look at that and the ramifications for the municipalities i mean they are freaking out like four parts per trillion i keep saying trillion because everything we've done is parts per million parts per billion and parts per billion i thought was like huge everybody says oh it's one drop in a thousand swimming pools yeah it's crazy how tiny that number is and i have some people in good authority that it's difficult it's going to be extremely difficult or not burdensome and expensive to get to that number. So I'm beating that into the ground here because uh, it's food for thought. Anybody listening, I think it's maybe a little unreasonable, even though it does help us out as a, a water conditioning products distribution company. And the ion exchange resins and the activated carbons we have in reverse osmosis, but is it attainable with this technology, are we going to find it? all this stuff doesn't work, quote-unquote? It works really well. We just don't know how long. Four parts per trillion. Yeah, how long will it last before you have to take it offline? You know, Denise has come up with some just different articles of uh, point of interest that where this, why it's so alarming, why there's so many people getting freaked out about the PFAS in high concentrated areas. There are certain areas in the country, North Carolina, that are market, you know, Vermont, New York, certain other parts, maybe some parts in Delaware, but North Carolina has quite a few. And they found out that uh, alligators, you know, they're testing alligators, they're testing fish and everything, but there's having weird effects. So, you know, don't forget about the humans. Let's worry about the alligators. Well, yeah, this is a paper that was done. And it appears that it, when they're exposed to PFAS, there are elevated levels that will show signs of an immune disruption. I don't think they have any two-headed alligators yet. No, yet Not like the frogs we're seeing, right? No, crocagators, my father used to call them. <laughs> but the concerning thing here is that Several of these Cape Fear alligators revealed unhealed wounds and skin lesions reminiscent of certain autoimmune disorders in humans. So there's some kind of, uh, they're measuring higher levels of biological markers and gene expression associated with human autoimmune diseases. So you don't know. Some of these alligators are bigger than we are. Yeah, I know. It's waterproof alligators. I think they're already waterproof, but now they're... It's coming to the surface. Yeah, I just want to give the citation here. It will all be in the transcript, but the paper is by T.C. Gillette, T.W. Jackson, and McCord and Belcher. So, alligators. Yeah, yeah, screwed up alligators. I've gone through and listened to and given, you know, seminars on um, the treatment thereof and quote-unquote, viable technologies that are available to us at economically and what the state regulators have accepted to this point still boils down to carbon, activated carbon. Coconut shell is not one of choice, so it, we come to the coal-based activated carbon. We'll talk about that first. 
that there's been a lot of studies that the coconut shell has uh, difficulty uh, removing the uh, short chain material, which um, is uh, the Gen X, the short chemical chain, where the PFAS is like more the fire retardant that uh, the fire foam is better uh, adsorbed through um, any kind of carbon. But there's one state, New Jersey, that uh, just said, oh, activated carbon. You know, we're like, whoa. And people are putting in coconut shell carbon. And coconut shell, again, to reiterate from previous podcasts, it's a crop. It's grown. And so the consistency in manufacture from manufacturer to manufacturer, crop to crop, or buyer to buyer, and then who is developing or activating the uh, coconut husk, it's kind of a, uh, what should I say? It's a developing country kind of process. And some do it really well. Yeah, they do. And stuff we buy, stuff that we buy. Uh, anyway, or other people may not do it as well. And uh, you get what you pay for? Okay, let's say it that. But coconut shell is great, great carbon. We use, I mean, tons of it. We, we, we sell. probably sell more coconut. Than yeah, a lot more coal. coconut. Yeah. But it's more for drinking water, uh, removing chlorine, taste and odor, some uh, Disinfection byproducts. It does a really good, good, really good job. Really good. But when you get down to four parts per trillion, you really have to have a carbon that's manufactured under a lot of scrutiny. There's two domestic carbon manufacturers that do a reglomerated carbon, which they do is pulverize the coal coal-based carbon. I know coal is a bad name out there for when you burn it. No, but actually has a good name <laughs> when you use it for purifying water. And because it's it can be crushed and it can be um, sourced. And it's a high quality. Yeah, it's a high... They can pick the quality of the coal. The vein, yeah. The vein, and then they can develop it, crush it, and then reglomerate it into a designer, quote-unquote, carbon so consistency lot a lot da, da, da. and uh, a lot of them are acid washing it to even further clean any things that are naturally found in coal like arsenic and iron and some antimony but they're in, these are all nsf certified carbons they're below the mcl but it freaks people out like what i found arsenic yeah but it's 0. 0.000 you know it's a very little bit so they're acid washing them, acid rinsing coal to make it more specified for to go after PFAS and their compounds, related compounds, because of its uh, pore structure. So we beat that to death. There's no real carbon updates outside of what I preached before. Go with the coal base. There's uh, lignite is also preferred out there, but I don't know if it has a capacity. I'm not going to. Oh, they're putting it. Uh, they have it in the state of New York and in, yeah. in municipal. It's approved, but it's expensive. Yeah, it's, yeah, and lignite. it is. It is a coal base, so lignite yeah. is just a softer brown coal. Yeah, it's a more softer, but it has a bigger. Which we're pore stocking structure. now. Yeah, we are stocking. Not lignite. for that purpose, but yeah, if you need it, there's yeah. nobody here on the East Coast that has it. That has the lignite coal. So that's really uh, carbon, but we're going to roll down to... Let's just say one more thing about carbon. Lead lag. Enough said. Yeah, lead lag. You, know, you have to Two do bottles. Your, yeah, and we'll go into the, um, the treatment train in a second. But um, and maybe I jumped ahead here, too, in that 
there is the most important part of it is uh, how do we test for this crap? Okay, you know, I went right, I jumped because I'm all, you know, alligators right in the treatment because that's the way I do it. Teflon gloves. Oh, can't do that with the alligators. Yeah, poor alligators. But testing, test, and more test. You imagine it's four parts per trillion. That's where you have to attain. You want to find out what's in the water. Well, anything, I mean, like in the air, it could contaminate your water sample. So there's a huge protocol. I think we'll put this, what, in the notes or for well, this podcast? Well, the protocol, Marianne Metz, Metzger, yeah, Metzger did a really good... She did. She, she outlined it for us. Yeah, so um, it's already in a podcast. And Yeah, okay, yeah. She yeah. did do that. Yeah, Marianne Metzger from um, Resentech. So we've been tapping them pretty good there for um, info because they have the ion exchange resin we'll talk about. So, you know, when you're doing the samples, there is a checklist and I won't get into, but it, you can imagine what can contaminate it. So proper clothing, no new clothes, washed cotton, no fabric softener, nothing water resistant, waterproof, or stain treated. <laughs> No footwear with Gore-Tex. Does it say don't go in your underwear? Well, no. Oh, yeah. I, that's what I, I said. I said, I might as well ring the doorbell naked, run in, take the test, and then run out to your van and get ch- changed again. Before they call the cops. Yeah, before they call the police. Just warn the people that are coming in in uh, your birthday suit because it really seems like, but not if you put moisturizers on on yourself uh, before you went in there naked because then it, some of their certain moisturizers, I think, it has. Moisturizers, too. The stuff that... Yeah, or uh, cosmetics. Michael, you're yeah, killing see, me here. See, look. You're killing me. No footwear. No, no rinse aid, no moisturizer. No, avoid cosmetics, moisturizers, hand cream, or related products the day of sampling. What about tattoos? I don't know. I think that's permanent. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, it's that's already that's in, okay. your, in your blood. That's already. I don't think it has it in there, but who knows? Probably. Sunscreen or insect repellent. Choose natural or organic. You know, whatever you're going to put on. Natural or organic. Hemp. What? Hemp. Wear hemp. No, that probably has it in it. I don't no. know. Okay, sampling bottles. Use only laboratory-approved bottles and containers. Uh, bottles and caps. Should be HDPE, high-density polyethylene, and uh, or polypropylene material. So you just don't want anything leaching out to get your four parts per trillion, you know, to contaminate your sampling. Your field equipment, no Teflon containing, no tubing. They said the tape is okay. Actually, the Teflon tape, people were really bad-mouthing the tape for a while, but they found out the tape's okay. It's, it's updates, right? No waterproof field books. No plastic clipboards, binders, or spiral notebooks. Well, what the hell? No post-it notes. Post-it notes? Post-it notes are no, but your tape is okay. Yeah. Teflon, no teflon tape. tape yeah. No blue ice packs. Use wet ice, preferably known as <laughs> PFAS free. Wear nitrile gloves. This is fun. This is you know only water or hydration drinks permitted in staging area. What's a hydration drink? I guess no. Nah, I don't think. No, anything they add the electrolytes to. Oh, okay. So you can do that. So you really have to be like in a vacuum when you go test. So I would imagine when you test that day, it's you try to collect as many samples as you can because you try to stay as pure as you can. But what if your truck had fabric waterproofing spray? Like they just detailed your vehicle. But nah, they wouldn't detail your work vehicle. <laughs> well... I know people do, actually, as once a year, they have their work trucks completely gutted and cleaned. 
just because it's it's a inventory process. But and they do they get their trucks detailed. So detailing stuff I would imagine has tons of PFAS in it. Yeah, we're all gonna die, folks. Okay, end of the podcast. We're over now. I'm sitting here thinking about everything piling up in yeah, there. and you're just like uh, sampling containers, you know, polypropylene, polypropylene cap, you know, and there's holding times can't go more than 14 days, 28 days at room temperature. I'll keep it 10 degrees Celsius. What the heck is that? Celsius. Everybody knows Canadians, you know what we're talking about. Temperature checks at the lab. Lab must be uh, stored below 6C. I but assume not the frozen. labs know what they're doing. Yeah, so... We can't suggest yeah, Just do it like you do that. your bacterial samples, but in a vacuum. All right. So back to the what's it going to be, what's the updates here, and what we found, because there's been extensive studying... Reverse osmosis is found to be very effective, membrane separation, but it has one big flaw. Wait, everybody knows what that flaw is? You know what the flaw is? It's a concentrated waste stream, you know. Reverse osmosis doesn't gather it up and hold it, ricochets off the membrane and the pure portion. However, two to three gallons for every one gallon you make now, you have a concentrated waste stream of what? PFAS. So... You're putting it down. Now you're putting it down. Well, I guess if it's a city city sewer until they catch up to like every thousand or reverse osmosis in in a development all sending this down to their treatment plant. Hard to say what'll happen. Do it on a public sewer. I wouldn't say use reverse osmosis um, for uh, well water because that's where it's going down in your septic, right? And concentrating your septic. There may be a... A loop happened there, especially when these trillions we're talking about. But um, whole house RO is kind of crazy if you have very clean water and you don't have high TDS water. I don't know. It's not very economical because you can go activated carbon ion exchange resin to be extremely more economical. So RO is a good polisher if you're in an apartment and you can't, you don't have the luxury of a whole house system, well, at you put least... put a countertop RO, right? Yeah, at least you're feeding your pets good stuff. Who cares about you? Now, activated Unless carbon... Unless you have an alligator. But Unless you have an alligator, yeah, keep them out back. You see, this is what's happening. All that water probably went down in the sewer and poor little alligator. Yeah, he's got lesions. <laughs> <laughs> poor thing. We digress. Activated carbon. We just talked about that. So I'm not going to talk about it anymore, but choose the correct carbon, which would be a coal-based carbon. It's very effective, great media, maybe more suited for the residential point of entry because when you get into commercial applications with um, carbon needs a lot of time to effectively pull these contaminants from the water. They need time for the van der Waals forces to... Vanderwall the force. Showing off now, Mike. Yeah, that's important, and uh, to have them take you know effect. So what happens is you're almost at 1.5 cubic feet of carbon per every gallon a minute. So yeah, you know, 10 gallons a minute would be 15 cubic feet of carbon. Technically, that's if you're running a commercial application where the water is ripping through that carbon at 10 gallon a minute all the time because this is a differentiation. A house, 
it could be a two-hour empty bed contact time that that carbon, so because nobody's using water. So what happens in a house? Uh, everybody gets ready for work. Nobody's home. Everybody comes home. You know, water, water, washing, sink, uh, cooking, ba ba ba. We're going out tonight, uh, showers. But still, houses are very, very intermittent use. So the empty bed contact time is you can um, cheat <laughs> because it's just very random intermittent contact times. Now, commercially, again, they could be ripping a restaurant, is ripping water, a uh, factory is calling for 20 gallon a minute to fill up the process tanks. Beverage companies are filling up their process tanks. Well, you better have a big carbon absorber. And so that's where the economics comes to tilt toward the ion exchange resins. Because the ion exchange resins actually are, have a high affinity for the PFOAs, PFAS. Uh, they're very effective, and they have a small footprint because they work on ion exchange. It's a whole different animal. No van der Waals forces here. So they've proven them to have a short, empty bed contact time, and so they're smaller footprint. Are they regenerable? No. Mm-mm. Oh, straight no. through, huh? Straight through, once and done, just like carbon, once and done. So we'll get to that. So once and done... Nothing's perfect, okay? So they have their little issues. They're more sensitive to competing ions. So you have to have pretty much pretreated water for if you have a high hardness because you'll get a calcium carbonate or a calcium sulfate. They found that will build up on the and foul the... Yeah, uh, I'll have the same thing with any anion yeah. situation. Yep. Certain carbonates. Um, we have some anionic uh, experts that have done other podcasts and explains what happens. This is an anionic resin. So pH is going to be Yeah, you might depress the pH slightly on the initial with carbon, startup. It could go up too. Yeah, carbon it could happen, but it's very rare. But with ion exchange resins, you really need a bigger profile water test to seek out the competing ions that could affect it. Now so don't paint it with a brush, as they say. Don't just, woo, this is what we need, poof, for ion exchange. You've got to do your homework, especially, of course, you're going to use it mostly commercially or big installs. You better get it right. So what? you got to you know, do a test. The Resin Tech has a very inexpensive uh, menu of testing that would seek out these competing ions for you. So if you're going to use their resin use their testing, and then get it right. That's the biggest development ion exchange resin is that, um, you know, they found that some guys were misapplying it, probably just like carbon. They were using coconut shell, and uh, it was calcifying or, or carbonating, as I would say, coating the, and fouling the, prematurely fouling the resins. So test, 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 and uh, get it right. So, you know, that's the difference between carbon versus resin. The benefits of the carbon, again, go back through our, it's a proven technology for all VOC. It's accepted by the state regulators. Competing ions won't affect the performance. It'll actually improve the taste of the treated water. So people have a perception like, oh, man, my water tastes good. 
This so, stuff must be working. Yep. And here's the big one is it can be thermally reactivated instead of landfilled. So you have a chain of custody. That is huge. That cradle to grave, man. And we're going to go through one of the biggest things that uh, that if, uh, I think is important later when you collect these spent tanks. What do I do with them? So your challenges are that it has a huge footprint like ion exchange, more than ion exchange, especially for commercial, and it's a higher cost per gallon treated because you've got to use such so much carbon that it becomes pretty expensive when you do dollar, say, gallons per gallon treated, dollar per gallon treated. You know, it's more expensive. You know, you get shocked when you look at a cost of a cubic foot of the anion resin. Oh, my gosh. But, you know, you've like half of it. You do, but... You have the pretreatment situation and the as pretreatment well. also. So that's carbon. So ion exchange resin has high capacity, only a two to five minute empty bed contact time, to a whopping ten minutes for carbon. So two to five minutes, ten minutes for carbon. Smaller footprint, especially commercial industrial, smaller bed with larger bed volumes. You know, it goes a lot longer in certain cases. It's less dollars per gallon treated for ion exchange. Your challenges are competing ions, sulfate fouling, dealkalizing effect, which will reduce the pH, possible odor from untreated water, and uh, which, you know, sometimes you can get the odor out with carbon, sometimes you can't, and disposal, huge thing on ion exchange. You really got to team up with a credible waste hauler or your butt is grass. You're going to be in trouble because they're going to come after you. What did you do with that spent resin? Mr. It has all ABC that water PFAS treatment man. sticking to it. Yeah, with all that PFAS. Where did it go? Next thing you know. So it's not exchanging, actually. You're on action news. It's not exchanging off. No. It's, it holds on to that resin. It's not like it's going to leach off in a landfill. It's on there. We went through a typical installation, which is, you know, lead lag vessel. No backwashing. No upflow. Never upflow any VOC. Never. If you take away that, just close your eyes if you're not driving, and you say no upflow, no backwash. And uh, it's just common sense And because upflow, you fluidize the bed, create big voids, and you don't want that. The higher the flow rate, the more voids. So never upflow carbon or ion exchange. Downflow only and good pre-filtration, good pre-testing, and team up with an expert like uh, us or Resentech or... Calgon and people that know their stuff. That's really what I wanted to get into is uh, the last part here because I don't want to bore you. We're at 31 minutes. This is the latest thing that I scared to live in bejesus out of the EWQA folks. That stud, I, I saw a lot of pie-eyed looks out there is disposal. Okay, you got it. You're the hero and you can't go into this business of chasing the dollars or the dollars will chase you. I say, because if you do that and you go in half-assed, you will get burned by state regulators and chain of custodies, everything that, uh, it's not like you're dumping a tank of carbon for, uh, you know, taste and odor or iron removal for iron exchange. You're just dumping it in your dumpster. Pretty much down the road, they're going to come after you. So what I tell everybody to do is have a plan. And a plan is pick your... Removal, ion exchange, or activated carbon. Size it accordingly, test, due diligence. But really, nobody really adjusts the grave 
We're talking, we do the cradle. Nobody, nobody, it's just this little, you know, elephant in the room. But what's happened to, uh, real quick story, because we, we don't want to bore you. A company in an article in uh, the WQA had a company did ion exchange tanks in a DuPont facility. Little did they know that this dust, this PFAS dust was floating around. So they would bring their tanks back and regenerate their they had a regeneration plant, and all they'd wash their tanks down, and they'd bring them all shiny back, and then they'd clean them up. Well, all that washdown water went out into the driveway, and the driveway went out into an outfall, and the outfall went out into a, a lake. And they just so happened to be going around. Ooh, doo, doo. Let's see, the PFAS police. We're heading around. Well, no, 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 no. The waste police. Well, no, yeah, they were, no, not the really wastewater police, but they were out there testing bodies of water, and so they went, "Holy crap! Look at this hit!" And next thing you know, they had the PFAS sniffing dogs going all the way up, and they found out this guy in his facility shut him down. It was he was a poster child of, of evil. Except that he was doing everything he properly. was supposed to do. And he was like, what do you mean? He was a deer in headlights. What are you talking about? They started to peel back the onion, and they went, oh. So I said, you know, all these guys that are bringing all these tanks from all these remediation sites and just dumping the tanks in a super sack or dumping them in a, uh, uh, a carboy, what are they doing about the drippings? All this stuff that's coming off this tank. So you should really have a secondary containment pallet or a secondary containment station. Look it up on uh, Uline. Every all these companies, Granger, McMaster Car has secondary containment pallets. All it is is a pallet with a it's a plastic kind of pallet, like a drain. It's an extended a drain board. Like drain have, board, yeah. like you would have at your sink. You put them on top, and then all the water is caught in a containment underneath this pallet and it has a drain port that you can open up and put a like a little giant pump and then pump that drain water through a carbon tank so and then put that car that water down the drain with peace of mind it's very simple we're talking about maybe a two thousand dollar investment your super sacks should rest on a secondary containment pallets. You can get cheaper ones to rest your super sacks and let them air out and dry out before you send them back to Calgon for reactivation. Yeah, and I, I jumped past that. I didn't go through the thermal reactivation, but that's why we like carbon too, because you can have it thermally destructed and a certificate of destruction in a chain of custody. But you don't want to ship them wet carbon dripping all over a tractor trailer. You want to have enough room to store enough carbon, which is a thousand pound super sack. That's why they call them super sacks. They're the size of a pallet and huge. You know, they look giant tea bags. And they drain down pretty fast and they dry out pretty fast. And you put them, you know, on a secondary containment pallet. And, I, you know, you'll be able to trap that water. And if a regulator does, I think in North Carolina, they're doing a lot of sniffing. You know, are you doing this, Mr. Water Treatment Man? Well, they're getting, you know, the EPA's coming down on them, and, and they're going to look to reduce. They're looking around. Trying to figure out. It's only a matter of time before. They, it's like an infection. They always say regulation is like an infection. It goes from state to state to state. 
what are you doing? What are you doing? And next thing you know, they find if they go up to you and knock on your door and they say, oh, this is, I have secondary containment and I put my containment water through more activated carbon and I have a chain of custody. Let me show you my manifest. <laughs> you will be the poster boy and you'll probably get more business from those state regulators because they can't really send it to you, but they'll be like, well, we prefer ABC water treatment down in. And uh, you'll be the hero. Well, you would do the same thing for ion exchange before your carrier would take it away. And they probably would require some kind of test on the ion exchange as well. Yeah, before you get a certificate of uh, some kind of approval, before you can put it into a lined waste facility. I've seen, you know, dumps, (laughs) as we call them. Uh, sanitary landfills now. They're sanitary. <laughs> we used to call them the dumps. Remember that? Going to the dump, to the dump, to the dump, dump, dump. But sanitary landfills now. And they're lined and they have water. I see some of the stuff that's going in there. PFAS is a walk in a park. But it's the darling of the media right now. You'd be a lightning rod, but we all know, you know, winking a nod that there's a lot more worse stuff going in those landfills from public waste. Because you can throw just about anything out in your public waste, you know, and just, oh, yeah, yeah, let's let it go. But second, you become a generator is what you are when you concentrate from a site and then you bring it into your facility. Oh, yeah. You're under scrutiny now. But I sound like doom and gloom. It's damn good business. I know some dealers that are doing extremely well in this marketplace, incredibly well. But they've crossed their T's, dotted their I's, and they have these processes in place and state regulators love them it's quite good business if you're thorough you got to be very thorough so that's all i have that's it i think we've updated this thing i think i'd just like to add one other point the point is that we're in the early days of this whole contaminant and there are companies and people working on other ways to remove PFAS oh, yeah. from water. New technology. So we're not sure how long we're going to be using activated carbon and ion exchange and RO because there's money being spent to get rid of it for fewer dollars. And as soon as we get some information on that new technology, we will have another podcast. Yep. New emerging technology. It is changing fast. So... But right now, we have the carbon ion exchange reverse osmosis, like you said. So, all right. Well, that's why you trust the frog, right, everybody? Thanks for listening, and uh, we appreciate it. <laughs>